Welcome to the Come Out and Play podcast by Golf Town. It's just a casual chat about golf. Why do you come out to play? And what keeps you coming back time and again? Now here to ask those questions is your host, a guy who never really knows where his ball's going, is Golf Town brand ambassador, Hugh Burrow. Welcome to the Come Out and Play podcast by Golf Town. This is a conversation about the game we all love and we all hate and we all love. Our guest today, one of the best known names in Canadian golf. He's been covering this sport for more than three decades. His accolades are many, too many to list, but I'll do my best here. He's a member of the Ontario and Canadian Golf Hall of Fames. He's a lifetime achievement honoree from Golf Canada, the PGA of Canada, and the Golf Journalists Association of Canada. He's also one heck of a nice guy. Oh, and by the way, he helped me win a free set of clubs a bunch of years ago. Uh, He's none other than TSN golf analyst Bob Weeks. Hey, Bob, welcome to the show. Welcome to Come Out and Play. Oh, thanks, Hugh, for the invitation. Always good to chat with you and uh, and glad to be here. Yeah, it, it's been a little while since we, we've had a chance to talk. We should probably explain to people about the whole how you won me free clubs <laughs> thing. Uh, a bunch of years ago, there was a, a charity tournament at Magna, um, and I was in a group with you, with uh, Jeff Brook of the Globe and Mail and Corey Warren. Of, of TSN. And uh, well, I contributed nothing to our foursome, but we ended up winning a free set of TaylorMades, uh, which was great. You know, you and Corey and Jeff were, were the driving force of that foursome. <laughs> and I thank you so much for that, by the way. Uh, n- never, uh, never a problem to help you out and get you some, some new gear. I think you were, as I recall, I think you needed it. So that's good I, to go. I really, really did. There were the, the, the TaylorMade R7 draws. I had those things for years after that uh, it, it was great it was that was a fun day remember sergio garcia and david toms were there and we go i do we, remember that because we won our nine we got to hit tee shots for sergio and mine basically <laughs> went straight up in the air 50 yards down but uh yeah not quite not quite close enough to run out and catch it though no infield no, fly rule no but but it's amazing though like most people haven't had the the, the, the quote unquote pleasure of teeing off with, you know, a tour pro right there and about, you know, a hundred people surrounding the opening <laughs> tee blog. It was, it was very nerve wracking, but yeah. <laughs> well, I can remember this is, it goes back to the very start of my career. In fact, the very first day I was uh, officially on the payroll at the old, at score golf, uh, our, our group was playing in the Canadian Open Pro-Am. Now, I wasn't playing. I was just caddying for the guy who was my boss at that time. And uh, we drew Jack Nicholas, believe it or not, as our, as our professional. And uh, as I handed him the club on the first tee, they were lined up 10 deep all the way down the fairway. <laughs> and I just said, uh, don't kill anybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's always great advice on the golf course. Uh, something that I should probably pay heed to. A little bit more. Uh, so, Bob, the name of this podcast uh, is Come Out and Play. So I have a very, very simple question for you. Why do you come out and play? That's a good question. And I think my answer, if you'd asked me maybe 10 or 15 years ago, it probably would have been a different answer than it is today. And today, um, I've sort of stopped worrying, not exclusively about the score, but I, I don't think that's the most important part of why I go out and play anymore. I go out to play, to see with friends, uh, to enjoy, 
to see different courses. I've been very lucky in my job to travel far and wide and see a lot of different golf courses. And, and I just kind of get the pleasure of going out and maybe trying to be a little bit better than I was the day before, but not to the point where it takes away. When I leave the golf course, I'm smiling no matter what the scorecard says. And I know this sounds a little bit maybe like a patent answer, but it really is the fun of it. I really enjoy going out and playing and and trying to uh, challenge a golf course and and be a little bit better than I was the day before. And that's I guess that's the primary reason why why I'm out there. Yeah, it's, it's something we should all keep in mind. I mean, it, it's a game, right? It's supposed to be fun. And I, I know that sometimes rounds can be a little tough. Sometimes things go sideways out there. But the, the important thing is to remember that you're supposed to be having fun. Uh, none of us are tour pros, although <laughs> right. probably a little closer than I am to that. But uh, yeah, just get out and have some fun. How did your relationship with golf begin? Well, interestingly enough, and I didn't know this at the time, but my my family relationship with golf goes back a long, long way. My great-grandfather was one of the founding members of the first golf course in Prince Edward Island uh, back around the late 1800s and early 1900s, and um, he taught my grandfather to play. And what when course I was, was that? That was, uh, it's now called Belvedere. It was, okay. it was the Charlottetown Golf and Country Club at the time. It's now called Belvedere Golf Club. And... Um, Strangely enough, about, uh, I don't know how many years later, but many decades later, uh, we were on a family vacation to Prince Edward Island. My family, my grandparents still lived out there at that point, so we used to go out and spend a couple of weeks with them. And we got stuck on the island. This was before they had the fixed length of bridge, and you had to take the, the ferry to go across, and the ferry guys were on strike. So we were stuck there for a little longer than what we've scheduled. And my dad said, how about we uh, go and try playing golf? He was looking for anything to do, anything to pass the time. And we went out and played a little golf course called Strathgartney, which is still there. It's uh, kind of a short little par three course. And that was my first uh, actual round of golf. So there was kind of an evolution, I guess, from my great grandfather to me on, on Prince Edward Island with golf. And, um, and ever since then, I kind of uh, been lucky enough to be a member at a golf club. And I worked I worked at Scarlet Woods Golf Club, which is a municipal golf course as a summer student for three years, just I in the pro Scarlet. shop. I love Scarlet Woods. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a fun place. And it was that, and that kind of, I, I had kind of both ends. I was lucky enough to be at a member at a private club where I still am, Weston Golf Club. I've been celebrating my 50th year there as a member this year. And uh, so I had Scarlet Woods on the public end and I had the, the Weston lucky enough on the private end. And um, I kind of took to golf. The one thing I will say is I've, I'm, I've never been a great golfer and people sort of expect when you work in this business that we're all great golfers. But I'm, I'm like, you can go on the Golf Canada app and look up my handicap if you want. I think right now it's around 11. Um, but I've never been a great golfer. I've always sort of thought of myself as a guy who covers golf more than a golfer yeah i'm pretty sure howard cosell was never a great boxer but he's (laughs) he's, he's one of the names synonymous uh with the sport of of boxing so so that you say that was your first round and so so did you catch the bug right away when, when you played that first round um i don't recall entirely but i do know that we had fun and it was it was certainly something that i wanted to do again it was something where I could see the possibility of, of why it would be kind of fun and, and spending time with my dad, of course, was always special. Uh, I still do that today, by the way. My dad just turned 90 and I play with him once a week, nine holes. So um, there's, I guess you could say I did get the bug early, although I may not have actually realized it at that time. 
Yeah, because you're you are also as a aside from golf, you're also one of the the, the premier experts on curling in this country. Like you, you are synonymous with curling as well. So how how do those mesh together? Like how how what's that relationship like? Well, there's a lot of golf clubs that have not so many anymore, but there used to be a lot more uh, golf clubs that built curling clubs, kind of in the mid '50s to 1960s, certainly in the Toronto area. And they were attached and it was good. Those seasons ran together back in those days, you know, essentially golf courses would put the shutters up in the wintertime. And if you were a private club, it meant that you lost all your staff because they wouldn't want to, they, they couldn't keep them on, on board. So, so uh, curling clubs were ways to make a, a country club, I guess, if you want to call it that way, connect. And so I took to curling and I was a pretty good curler in my own right. I guess at some certain points I won some, you know, I used to, I curled a couple of times with Eddie Wernick and oh, okay. um, the yeah, the wrench and did played in uh, some cash spiels and did a few things like that. But Bob, you can, you um, can brag a little bit here. You can brag. <laughs> okay. like, like, how, like what kind of tournaments were you winning? Uh, I won a couple of smaller cash spiels, something that wouldn't, would be on what now would be the, the kind of the tour, the, the tour, but I wasn't, I was never great. I was kind of like the, uh, I was kind of like the fifth guy on a four man team more than anything, <laughs> but, but, uh, I enjoyed it and it did go well with, uh, with, uh, with golf and a lot of golfers are good curlers and a lot of good curlers are good golfers. So, uh, it kind of goes back and forth. Is that right? I, I didn't know that the, the the sports kind of lent themselves to to the other. That, that's interesting. Uh, hey, describe a perfect day for you on the course. Uh, well, perfect day would start with good weather, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> an early start. I like to play early in the morning. Um, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock. Sometimes I go out at that time with uh, some of my one of my TSN cohorts, uh, Jeff O'Neill, who likes to okay. be the first guy off the golf course or off off the tee. Oh, he's one of those um, guys. Is he okay? Yeah. But I would say uh, either with three friends or with uh, or even with three new people. I don't mind playing with new people. A lot of times at my golf club because my schedule's kind of um, a little bit all over the place. I just walk out and join up with three people who I may, if I know them, I don't know them well. Yeah. So that that's good too to meet new people as part of a good day, um, and and to uh, hopefully be able to hit the ball well enough that I can enjoy myself. And I, I don't like having to look for balls in the woods or, or anything <laughs> like that, but really it's about the, it's about the conversation. Yeah. Um, the group, the regular group that I, I play with, there's a bunch of us, but, uh, several of them were worked in politics. Uh, one was a, is a television and movie producer. One guy is a lineman for Toronto hydro and everybody has interesting things to say. So that as much as how we're playing is, is what makes my day on the golf course. And then, uh, and then to finish up with uh, with perhaps uh, the uh, one or two adult beverages on the patio afterwards is uh, it's kind of a nice way to spend the day. Yeah, that that sounds uh, near perfect to me. You touched on it. Even if you're playing with strangers, you're spending four four and a half hours with people maybe you've never met before, and and you're getting to know them, right? You're you're getting to hear their stories, and 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 out of out of that time, a lot of friendships are made, like lasting friendships. Without a doubt. And, um, you know, I think that's, there's, there's a famous statement about a judge who once said, you know, I can sit in a courtroom for three months and not tell whether a guy is, is guilty or, or innocent, but give me four hours on a golf course with him and I'll tell you everything I need to know. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I think that does sort of lend itself. I think there's a, a number of ways. First of all, you know, interesting conversations develop, as you point out. The other thing is you can kind of get a sense of, um, how the person is 
how they play golf is to me a little bit about how they lead their life. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing or an indifferent thing, I guess, to a certain extent. But I, um, I, I, I haven't really had too many experiences where I just kind of wanted to get off the golf course as soon as possible. There's, there's really, um, there's really a lot to kind of enjoy between the shots, almost as much as there is when you're hitting the shot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, you know, have, I mean, I'm sure 99.9% of the time it's a wonderful experience. They're happy to meet you. They probably recognize you. They're, they're, they're pumping you with questions about this, that, and the other thing I was going to ask you, have you ever had any kind of negative experiences with people that, that you didn't know? Um, I'm trying to think about that. Not, not too many. The only negative experiences would come if someone's a slow player. Oh, <laughs> totally, yes, yes, we've yeah. all run into those, I think over the years, but, um, I don't mind. I don't mind. I can pretty much tolerate anybody for four yeah. hours, even if they're kind of a real obnoxious person. But uh, in the most, in most cases, I would say I've, I can't really think offhand of anything that's been a really, really distasteful experience. Well, the next time we golf together, I promise, not, <laughs> okay. I promise not to look for my ball for, for more than 30 seconds. Actually, I don't get emotionally attached to my golf ball. If it goes off into the woods, I just drop another one and keep going. Who cares? Right? You know, yeah, I'll give it to three minutes so that I'm allowed to look and then and then you kind of move on. But, I'll just uh, go to golf town and get some more. I mean, really. Exactly. It's, it's, exactly. <laughs> we, we are coming out of a uh, pretty rough two years um, in general for the pandemic. But golf took off during the pandemic. What What's your opinion on the health of golf in this country and, and where it's going over the next few years? Um, well, I'll tell you one quick story as a side sidebar to that, and then I'll answer your question directly, was that, um, you know, when you couldn't see people in a lot of cases, you couldn't have them over to your house for dinner, you could go out and play golf with them. And so my dad and I started this nine hole Monday uh, thing and a round of golf would tee off around four thirty, and I can tell you it's the most pleasure I've had playing golf in years and we've kept it going um, and I didn't play necessarily all that much golf with my dad before just because of schedules I was traveling so much with my job which also stopped during the pandemic and it really was uh, it's something that I've just cherished now and I just absolutely love it um, as I said to you before, I think he's, he just turned 90 in May and we're still doing it. So that was one of the good things that came out of the pandemic on a, on a bigger picture. Um, I think golf got a real opportunity to showcase itself. And I've, I've always felt for a long time, specifically in Canada, but pretty much around the world, you know, we've always sort of been on the defense. Golf has always never really been, um, an offensive person or offensive group of people trying to encourage more people to play. Yes, there have been attempts and there have been successful things. Certain things have, have helped out, but there's never been a real way to showcase how much sport, how much fun the sport can be. Um, and, and instead we're sort of defending ourselves against, oh, this is a, a rich old man sport or, uh, this eats up the, um, the, you know, lots of great land and different things like that. But I think what people found in golf is that you, you can, you can enjoy it. You can, um, build it. You can grow in your abilities in it very, very easily to the point where you can have some fun out there. There's a lot of great things is almost what we've just talked about in, in why you golf and why you can enjoy golf. And I think a lot of people who had left the game came back. And I think obviously we in, inducted a lot of new people. I've met a lot of people who started in the last couple of years. And in some cases, what they brought to the game is helping us in terms of they didn't know 
dress codes or they didn't know that you weren't supposed to have music on the golf course. And those things are not for everybody, but I think it's, it's opened the existing golf population's eyes to the fact that, you know, this, there's not one way to enjoy this sport. There's, there's a hundred ways and you can do different things and you don't have to, um, dress a certain way or play a certain way or play uh, a certain number of holes or whatever to enjoy the game. And so, that's the biggest takeaway from the pandemic. The other part is that now we have an opportunity to keep these people. And I don't think we, I think we're naive to think that all the people who took up the game during COVID are going to stay with it. Uh, but there's certainly, certainly a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity right now. And I'm glad to see organizations like golf Canada and like the PGA of Canada trying to make an effort to keep those people around. That was well said. Uh, we said when there's there's more than one way to enjoy this game and, you know, with the music or maybe the, the relaxing of the dress codes, there really is. It, there's more than one way to, to love this game. And whether you're a traditionalist or, or new to the game, what is what's going to be the biggest challenge for golf over the next few years? Uh, I, th- I honestly think it's going to be trying to break down the old stereotypes and perhaps making golf a little bit more accessible in the yeah. bigger cities. Um, it's not, it's not a problem when you get to outside of Montreal and Toronto and Vancouver and you, know, you go to smaller towns and smaller centers and, and golf is very accessible. Um, and, and I think the people who play it in some of those areas are a lot more diverse as well. Uh, just because of the nature of, of if they want to play golf, there's usually only one or two or three places to play, but they're wide open. And, and I've been encouraged. I visited some of those places over the last year or two years and seen the wide group of people, old, young, big, small, a uh, variety of, of, of ethnic backgrounds uh, and, and abilities of, of, you know, it's just amazing to see. And when you see that, I think that's kind of, to me, is a big key of what we have to do is just, just showcase this sport and not sit back and wait for those people to come. You know, we have to be inviting. It's, it's the people who are playing golf right now and the people like you and me who are in positions where you can reach out and have your voice heard uh, to try and make this changes. And, and I can't say enough about a lot of the leaders in Canadian golf right now who see that and are, and are making efforts to try and make this, this sport much more uh, accessible to everybody and, and more enjoyable to everybody. Well said. Um, because you are one of the leading voices of golf and, and you cover the sport inside and out, you're on a first name basis with so many of the players. Uh, <laughs> it would be remiss of me if I didn't ask you about the impact of live on the PGA tour, the Saudi back tour, which has it scooped up a fair number of PGA players, Phil, DJ, uh, Patrick Reed, Brooks Kepka, Poulter, McDowell, Ustase, and Matt Wolf. I mean, more are on the way. Um, here, here's what here's my take on it. When, when Live first surfaced, I don't think enough people took it seriously. I thought. I think that a lot of people on the PGA Tour side were kind of, ah, you know, that's that's kind of a funny little distraction. We don't really have to worry about that. My opinion now is they have to worry about it, whether they whether they like it or not. Live is here, and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on Live and if it's going to have a lasting impact. Well, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I mean, those pockets are pretty deep from that sovereign wealth fund that the Saudis have, you know, when you can 
offer up the money that they're offering up and really just it's just a sort of a drop in the bucket. So I think that's one thing that that the other powers that be have to kind of contend with. Um, in some ways, it's kind of an interesting transition from your last question in that, you know, what Liv is trying to do in, in how they operate is to change um, what's been sort of a, a similar state old format for decades. And, you know, they're going with 54 holes. They're going with a shotgun start. Um, they've got music out on the golf course. It's sort of when you, when you go out there, it's like an NBA game. You know, they've got music playing while guys are shooting. Uh, though there's a lot of good things about live that I think we have to wake up to and realize, um, realize what it's, what it's trying to do. It's trying to change things up on the other side. Um, I think there's some danger in it. And, um, uh, by danger, I mean that you, you do, you can throw away some of the, uh, the ethics, the history. Um, you know, if I'm a, and I think the way they started off was pretty harsh. You know, this going up against the RBC Canadian Open that first week, and you have two of the biggest names in Graham McDowell and, and, and Dustin Johnson all of a sudden pulling the plug just days before. That that wasn't a great way to start, unfortunately. I understand why they did it. But um, so there's a, some bad taste in people's mouths, obviously, about how they were doing things. And I think. Um, I think you better get used to it to a certain extent. I think there's this is going to be around for a while. I think we're going to see some court cases get out of this. The biggest hurdle for Liv is going to be getting official world golf ranking points. And that's no sure thing. If they don't get those points, then all those players who go to Liv are going to have an almost impossible time in trying to play major championships. Uh, they just simply aren't going to – the strength of field is going to drop down the, the – the, uh, I mean, there's a number, I won't get too technical about it, but there's a number of things that'll happen that'll lead these players not to be able to play the Masters or the U.S. Open. Um, you know, at the at the Open Championship this year, Martin Slumbers came out with some very, very harsh statements about Liv saying, you know, this is really driven by money. And I think all sports is driven by money <laughs> to one extent or not. But Yes, it but, is. But if you're Dustin Johnson and you got a check for a reported $125 million, I mean, how hard do you want to work at your game? How hard yeah. do you want to grind it out? I, so I, that's that's where I see it. But um, I think we better uh, accept it and see it. And I know, listen, I know from a couple of sources that they're, you know, they're, they want to come to Canada. They want to have an event in Canada either next year or the year after. So um, so maybe we'll, uh, we'll get a look at it firsthand. Yeah, it's going to be interesting the next couple of years, just the relationship. It's almost akin to, I'm an auto racing fan, so it's akin to the the, the cart versus IndyCar split uh, a bunch of years ago. And... The, that sport has, hasn't been the same since. It, it weakened the sports. They thought they were going to do something exciting, and it just turned out that it's not It's not quite the same at all. Bob, what's your favorite Canadian golf memory? Uh, well, I'm going to cheat and give you three. That's okay. <laughs> the, That's okay. Yeah, okay. The first one, uh, obviously, back in 2003, I was lucky enough to be at the Masters when Mike Weir, uh, sorry, Golf Town Ambassador, Mike Weir, um, <laughs> came, won the green jacket. And that was a, uh, I don't like to use the word surreal that often, but it really was some, an amazing surreal moment where this is a guy that I had covered as an amateur golfer, working all the way up through the Canadian Tour and then up to the PGA Tour and then into the winner circle. And uh, to watch that happen and then to get to spend some time with him later that night um, was pretty incredible. Uh, the next one would be Stephen Ames um, winning the Players' Championship. And to me, the last round uh, of that golf tournament was perhaps the best I've ever seen anybody 
uh, control their golf ball. He beat the best field in golf by six shots to win that tournament. And I would say that, um, there's, you know, a lot of people were, would say the best ever, like what about Tiger winning at, at, uh, at Pebble or at Pebble beach by, you know, 15 shots at the end. No, this was, this was actually better. He just absolutely had the ball going exactly where he wanted it. And then the third, Hey, it's another golf town ambassador. It was uh, Brooke <laughs> Henderson, Brooke Henderson winning the, uh, the CP women's open, uh, in Regina. And that was a, uh, that was a really, uh, emotional one, I think for a lot of people. And, and to see the, the crowd was just amazing out that one with, uh, they were probably six deep or so around the, uh, 18th green or back a little bit into the fairway when Brooke hit her shot in there and then tapped it in. And, um, uh, I'll, those are the three great moments. I think just to be able to be a part of those and to watch them and to interview the players afterwards was, was pretty special. Yeah, those are three uh, very, very good ones, uh, by the way. Uh, just quickly, uh, the next Canadian golfer to win a major will be? It'll probably be Brooke Henderson again, <laughs> I would think. <laughs> if you're talking about the men's side, uh, yeah, it's so hard because I get asked a lot about, you know, who's the best Canadian men's golfer. But I, I can make a case for, you know, four or five or six of these guys that they could win next week. And and you look at Corey Connors and Mac and, uh, I mean, uh, Adam is playing so much better. Did you know? Led the U.S. Open after uh, after the first round, and it's uh, it's just you can see they're kind of feeding off each other a little bit as well. And and listen, for a lot of years when I was covering this game, we were lucky to have one player on the PGA Tour, and now we're you know we're getting them by the boatloads now. So it's a lot of fun to watch these guys and to see this camaraderie. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this year's President's Cup. I think we're going to have two, perhaps three Canadians on that team. And uh, and I think that would be really special. Yeah, exciting times for sure. Kind of a golden age for Canadian golf right now. And uh, the next couple of years are just going to be something to look forward to. All right, Bob, I know you're a busy man, so we're going to get you out of here. We're going to finish off with a par five, okay? So five, gotcha. quick, five quick questions, okay? Here we go. First question, favorite course and why? Uh, my favorite course in the world is my own course at Weston, but if I had to pick two others, and I'm cheating again, I'll go with uh, I'll go with uh, Cabot Links. I like links over cliffs, and I'll go on the other side of the country. I'll go with Jasper Park Lodge. There's a, a mountain a mountain course, a parkland course, and, a, and an ocean course for you. Incredible. Yeah, th- those are all fantastic choices. Uh, I've never had a chance to play Weston, but I'm sure my, my invite is in the mail. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, the second question, course you've always wanted to play but haven't yet. Uh, I'm going to cheat again and give you two. One is the old <laughs> course, the old course at St. Andrews. I've never been able to play that. Unfortunately, I had a chance. Uh, this is I know it's supposed to be short hitters, but I had a chance to do that one time. And uh, we weren't able because the people that I was with who were contest winners uh, had only played three rounds of golf before in their lives. And so, oh. of course, they wouldn't let us on. But uh, that's a longer story. I'll fill you in yeah, on that one. Yeah. And then Pebble Beach, I've never played either. That's another one. Okay. Your favorite club in the bag? Favorite club in the bag is the putter, but I have a love-hate relationship with it. <laughs> you love it. It hates you. I, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I understand that completely. Uh, the strangest, funniest, weirdest thing you've ever seen on a golf course? Uh, I got to play Augusta National in the media draft of the Masters a number of years ago. And as we were playing on 18, a guy was playing on the ninth hole and he hit his, a thin shot out of a bunker. The, it flew up onto the back of the 18th green. All the caddies said, watch this, watch this. And the ball rolled from the very top 
of the of the back of the green all the way down the hill and into the cup and uh, and the caddies were laughing on the ground so you know that doesn't happen very often <laughs> this poor guy had to come over and pick his ball up out of the cup yeah, yeah, the, yeah the walk of shame kind of thing too bad doesn't count uh at your dream foursome well i've talked about my dad a lot so he would be in there <clears throat> probably arnold palmer who won his first professional victory at weston and i got to know arnie a little bit over the years and then i put tiger woods in there that would be a pretty good day on the golf course i think now you never had a chance to play with tiger come on yeah, no, 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 not yet. Not, <laughs> not yet. yet. There's still hope, though. I'm always holding out hope you. Yeah, that's that's the bucket list thing. That'll happen for you. I'll, I'll put a call in for you, Bob. How about thank that? you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, you are a busy guy. Uh, as we record this, the British Open is is on, and, and I'm sure you're going to be very busy over the next few days. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule to join us on the Come Out and Play podcast by Golf Town. Thank you. Well, it's great. And it's a great initiative initiative to come out and play a program. I hope a lot of people play a lot more golf this summer and, uh, and in the future years. Couldn't have said it better myself, Bob. That is Bob Weeks. Thank you so much. And just a reminder that Come Out and Play can be found where you download your favorite podcasts. Please share and tell your next foursome where to find us. And don't forget about that group in front of you as well. The Come Out and Play podcast is produced for Golf Town by Story Studio Network and Eye Contact Productions. Until next time... Hit him straight, and if you can't hit him straight, yell four. See ya.